Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Uh, joining me on the phone, it is a keyboardist extraordinaire, Derek Sherinian. He has a new album out called The Phoenix, which features all kinds of great players. Tony Franklin, Billy Sheehan, Joe Bonamassa, Zach Wilde, Steve Vai, Ron Thal, or Bumblefoot for, for you Guns N' Roses fans, Kiko from Megadeth and, and others. But first, as we say in Montreal, le bonjour Alain, Mr. Niven, how are you? I am very well. How are you today? Good, good. I am. I am good and surviving. Always, uh, always an important thing to be surviving. Um, quickly before before we get to that, I just want to pay my respects to uh, Billy Idol and and his uh, family. On August seventeenth, he announced uh, via his socials that the day before, on August sixteenth, twenty twenty that his mom passed away. So I just want to offer my uh, condolences to uh, Billy because I'm a huge fan, but also uh, on, a, on a human level, just uh, my condolences on the passing of your mother. Uh, Alan, uh, so, sorry to hit you with that news, but... The passing of a parent, especially a mother, is tough. And uh, I pass my condolences on to... Yes, and uh, anyway, let us let us uh, move forward here and talk about uh, Derek. Now, Derek, of course, did play, uh, like I mentioned, with Billy Idol, and during the interview, we do talk uh, about that. Uh, but have, listen to this this lineup. I mean, uh, the one I just read out with Steve I and, and Joe Bonamas. I mean, these are not some scrubs here. Uh, Derek's got himself a lineup, right? He's he's got a tremendous lineup there. It's an extraordinary lineup. Um, he was also, was he not in the Black Country Communion, which I thought was, um, I got very excited by that band. Um, remind me the name of the singer. Um, well, uh, hold on. Yes. Uh, so we, we've got uh, Bonham, uh, Jason Bonham. We've got Joe Bonamassa, Glenn Hughes, and Derek, or as we like to say, two Brits and two Americans. Yeah, with, with Black Country Communion. Um, I thought their timing was wonderful. I thought they were going to drive a resurgence and an interest in that kind of music. And uh, sonically and musically, I thought they were tremendous. Um, But for some reason, it just didn't quite go where I thought it should have gone. And I rather wonder if that was because the songwriting department might not have been as strong as it could have been. But uh, no, for a moment there, I thought we were going to get a a real hard-hitting, solid band that was going to be around for a while. And, uh, you know, Derek played some some damn good keyboards keyboards on the records. Well, to be fair... It is. It was a tough project to keep going, uh, though the band still exists, and uh, Derek does confirm in the interview that you're going to hear in a minute that there will be uh, there will be new BCC in uh, 2021. But you know, Joe Joe Bonamassa goes out uh, by himself well, solo uh, and and fills up these gigantic venues, and he's got that and 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 uh, Bonham does the uh, the Led Zeppelin Bonham tribute stuff, and then he goes plays with some other bands and did, you know did Glenn go and do something with uh, uh, dead daisies 
Yes. Uh, 2020 is the year of uh, Glenn Hughes and the Dead Daisies. They were supposed to have a new album out earlier this year. COVID hit, and I was told, basically, we're not putting the album out unless we can go tour it, because in our position, you know, not ACDC, not, you know, the Eagles, they need to go on the road and get fans excited about the songs to stimulate the sales and so on and so forth. So they so they want to hold off. But yeah, listen, I've heard the entire album. I think it's a great album. I, I think it's exactly what you're expecting. It's uh, Dean Castronovo and, 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 yes? Dead Daisies is an interesting project in that um, they're the rhythm guitar player who's the person who basically leads the band and finances the band is an Australian billionaire. He has a company down in uh, uh, Australia called Spitfire, if I remember correctly. Um, and back in the day, uh, he actually hired um, a good friend of mine called Doc Neeson and went on tour with Doc fronting the band that he put together. But it's uh, it's interesting because, you know, <laughs> most, most people worry about, you know, do we have a Winnebago? Are we going to be driving in cars? Uh, who's going to get, you know, the space to stretch out in the van between the equipment and sleep? No. With Dead Daisies, you go from gig to gig in a G5 private jet. <laughs> Which is the way I travel as well, by the way, just uh, everywhere I go. No, but... Uh, to, to be fair, he, he, I think he owns Australia, uh, honestly, but, uh, Hey, good for him. And, and it's a fun band. It's, it's been a fun project. We, we've had all kinds of people in there. I believe, was it Jimmy Barnes? No, it was, uh, we had, uh, jo John Karabi. He's got, well, Richard Fortis was part of the band for a while. Frank Ferrer was part of the band for a while. You know, he had the Guns N' Roses connection. So I know it's a, it's a fun thing, and, and having Glenn in there is great, but uh, BCC 2021 is going to... Hey, be, if yeah, I were a billionaire... I'd do the same thing. I'd, I'd do the same thing. <laughs> you know, actually, I'll tell you what I would do. I would front the band and sing. Now, keeping in mind, I can't sing. I sound horrible, but because I, I would have all this money, I would have people say, around me saying, Mitch, that, that was fantastic. That was the greatest vocal I've... You are the new Robert Plant. And I would, I would, I would, I would muscle them to let, to, to, to tell them that, to have them tell me that. <laughs> You'd have to pay a lot of people a lot of money to get that and you wouldn't be a billionaire anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, you got a point. That, that would be a very, uh, that would be a liquid expense that would be ongoing. In fact, it would bleed me dry, but, but I, I would do that. I would just force people to tell them, uh, tell me that I'm a gr the greatest singer ever. That's why I'd be like, hey, how was my vocal? Anyway, um, just real quick, uh, speaking of, uh, of, of that, uh, The Phoenix is the new Derek Sherinian album, his first album in, well, a long, long time. He's been too busy with Sons of Apollo, BCC, and other stuff. And yes, on every episode, we do have the Kiss connection. And of course, Derek was the offstage keyboardist for Kiss on their Revenge Tour so he would play the parts, add to the guitars or the vocals or whatever. So when you went to see Kiss on the Revenge Tour, 92, I guess that was, it was Derek that was enhancing everything. Ain't that cool, uh, Alan? I know, you love it, right? Oh, yes, I love that sort of authenticity of having players underneath the stage 
or off stage or behind a curtain. That's the sort of authenticity in a band that I really, really admire. Well, listen, it, it's certainly more honest than what Ozzy did on his uh, 1995 uh, tour. He had Robert Mason, who now sings with um, Warrant, as the offstage guy in a vocal booth, um, uh, singing along with him to, to double the vocals. So a couple of keyboard parts, there's nothing wrong with that. That is fine, you know. If you say so. I do. And here's the great thing that fans may not realize, uh, KISS fans especially, uh, they put out a live album called KISS Alive 3. Uh, well, you know, may, maybe it was recorded in a studio. I don't know. But it's called KISS Alive 3. And Derek can be heard on the album. There you go. Well, I'm just going to take this opportunity and segue very quickly and very briefly to give a plug to a little record called Stage by a band that I worked with back in the day. And if you want to hear an entirely honest live recording with no overdubs, go check this out. It's a really good record. It's the band at their best. So go check out Stage by Great White. Stage by Great White. And I'll finish on this since you mentioned Great White. Um, a fan wrote me, uh, uh, again, I get a lot of these emails, uh, and, and he, they said to me, why is Great White's Hooked not on streaming services? And I answer what I normally answer is, it's probably a rights issue, but, but do you, Mr. Niven, know why Great White Hooked is not available to stream? I have no idea. The next thing I'm going to do is send an email to John Ray at Capitol Records, who's head of business affairs, and ask him why that is so. Yes, and and I, I will ask you a personal question, and you can totally refuse to answer. Is streaming a not a significant, but it, but is it a source of income for you? I mean, do, are you seeing anything from that, or or are you one of these where you need six million streams to make ten bucks? Everybody needs six million streams to make ten bucks, and if you want to know why Universal increased their profitability by thirty six percent last year. All you have to know is that they don't pass on streaming income. They have big fat pockets that they stick all the money into and occasionally flip us a crumb. <laughs> That's not what they're actually flipping you. It's more like a middle finger, but you know. Um, yeah. But and 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 by the way, same goes. This is where I feel very uh, in tune with artists. But as a, a podcaster, uh, I saw the CEO. I think it was of Spotify saying that he expects it to be like a two billion dollar industry or whatever. And I'm thinking, oh, great. How much? How much do you send me? Oh, zero. Oh, yeah. Two zero. Which is fascinating to me when I, you know, I go on the computer and uh, check uh, your most recent postings all the time. Um, I get a video advert and then I get an audio advert and sometimes there's even an advert at the end. And they're all for major, major com companies. So, you know. Well, yeah. hey. Uh, Human uh, uh, nature take advantage of those who do not have leverage. Well, on the upside though, now, now that I mentioned the fan to the, the the fan letter about hooked, maybe out of this conversation at least, 
uh, great white hooked will will end up on streaming services, and, and I'm baffled as to why it's not because it was essentially the same lineup as as albums just before. It's the same guys. You're not suing anybody. They're not suing you. It's it, it, I mean they're, they're they're it's the same record company. It there doesn't seem to be any logical reason why it shouldn't be there. I would I would say that's probably oversight. Uh, All the other records are up for streaming, aren't they? Uh, I believe so. I haven't uh, checked into it, and I was only asked about that one. But yeah, it, it, it's it's strange. But anyway, uh, let us get over to uh, Derek Sherinian. New album out September eighteenth is called "The Phoenix." You can stream that starting September eighteenth, and quite possibly you might be able to stream "Great Whites Hooked" at the same time. Anyway, on that. Here's Derek. We are speaking to a Derek Sherinian. The new album is called The Phoenix. And as we say here in Montreal, bonjour, Derek. Uh, comment allez-vous? How are you? Bonjour. I'm fine. Thank you, Mitch. Always nice speaking with you. Yes, thank you. And and let us get started with this album here. It is the first solo album in nine years. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the delay. And of course, we know there's Sons of Apollo and other stuff that was that was in between there. But... Um, talk to me about wanting to put that out now and how is it different than some of the other things you've been doing? Well, I think, uh, the last record I put out was Oceana and I believe that was 2011 and the industry just kind of got shitty as far as all the downloading. And I was putting all this effort into my solo records and getting all these great guest artists and each record was getting better and better. And people were just downloading it. And every time I'd go to do an, another record, the label would say, hey, we can't give you the advance that we gave you last time. It's just, you know, the sales reflected. And it got to a point where it just didn't make any sense to to move forward. So I took a time out and focused on other things besides solo records uh, was in BCC playing with Billy Idol. And then in 2016, Mike and I formed SOA. So anything creative that I was writing at that point was going towards the band, but I just felt an urge to make uh, another solo record, play some instrumental music. And so I got a new solo deal and, and called Simon immediately and we got to work. Yeah, that's great. And uh, just just real quick, you mentioned Billy Idol. Uh, I just want to say uh, my my sincerest condolences as his mother passed away on Sunday, August sixteenth. And so I just want to. Uh, oh, I didn't. I didn't know that. I'm going to send him a note. That's that's bad. She was a very nice woman. His yeah, parents he, were very nice. I met them on tour a lot throughout the years. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, he he posted about it on his uh, socials, and I just want to. Uh, since we mentioned the name, I just want to pay my respects. Uh, there you go. Um, yeah, he was always a really, I'll tell you what, I've worked with a lot of different bands over the years, and he was a great boss, and I never had any issue with him. And he was like, when my daughter was born, he sent a really nice gift. And when my dad passed, he sent a really nice gift. And he's just always been a very cool guy and, and very supportive of me, so... I'm sorry to hear about his mom, and I'm going to send him a little note. Yeah, and uh, you know, since we're on Billy, just just real quick, uh, talk to me a little bit about Devil's Playground. I wasn't planning on talking about that, but it is one of my favorite albums that came out after you know post 2000. Uh, you know, Rat Race, Plastic Jesus, World Coming. To, it's just a fantastic record. How 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 involved were you in that? Was it just sort of Tishy and him writing everything, or 
was it a whole band thing? No, I I really didn't have much involvement on that record. I think I played uh, minimal overdubs on a couple things, and I can't even recall. I mean, that's how little I had to do with the rec- that recording. But that was primarily Brian Tishy and Billy Idol. They developed a, a creative partnership that just blossomed from one song into uh, they were you know full time writing partners. And and Brian actually brought me in after Devil's Playground. We we wrote a song called John Wayne, which was a really really good single. Did you ever hear that? Well, if Billy put it out, yeah, I did. I don't remember it. Pers- it was on the uh, the very best of Billy Idol. It was a compilation like the greatest hits, the the very last greatest hits he put out. Oh and yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Four new songs included, and John Wayne was one of them. And man, I I don't know if it was the just the timing when it came out or. Or whatever, but I think if it was released in another uh, era, I think the song would have done really, really well. But anyway, it is what it is. It, I love Billy Idol. He's he's. I'll tell you what, total true star. You know, I've played with a lot of different singers, and I, I know the difference between a, a real rock star and and then someone that's just up there singing. And he, it's like Elvis White when he's up there. The reaction of of the women in the front crowd and the front row and just the people when he's, when we walk into an airport, the way people respond to him, it's people, uh, beloved Billy Idol. So bless him, man. He's had a great career. Yeah. He he's larger than life. I saw him twice last year uh, with Brian Adams, Bills with Brian Adams. And it was just the greatest night of my life. Uh, both nights. Uh, anyway, let, let, let's get back to the Phoenix, the Phoenix right here. Uh, you do have Joe Bonamas on this and Zach and Steve Vai and Ron and, and, and a bunch of other guests. Um, talk to me in terms of uh, how you utilize them on the album. Did you sort of say, hey, I've got this song and, man, Kiko's playing would be the perfect one? Or did you sort of send all the songs out and, and somebody came back to you and say, well, I really have an eye. How did they sort of come together and how were they sort of chosen other than the fact that, you know, Billy Sheehan's a bass, um, not a bass, uh, a band member. But how, how were they fit in to the puzzle? Well, it's a good question. Some of it is like I knew Kiko and I were going to write a song. So if I'm going to write a song with someone, they're absolutely going to be on the record playing it or most likely. And so I knew Kiko was going to be on and I knew that I was going to do a cover with Joe Bonamassa and have them sing. So we chose them changes. But as far as the other songs, as the, the compositions get completed it becomes really clear who should play what that the music kind of works it out and it becomes obvious but then there's times where i'm writing a song with someone in particular in mind like the phoenix the opening track i heard billy sheehan and zach and i knew that i wanted to pair those two up together on the same track because i thought that that would be a really cool event and this opening track is just guns ablazing and both of their styles fit perfectly with this song so and then something like uh strings of ganymede i knew that i wanted either vi or or satriani or someone like that on the song but but steve vi was my first choice and he uh heard the song and gladly accepted playing and i think he did a fantastic job he did and and anytime anybody mentioned Steve I I quickly mentioned this story but uh, years ago I interviewed him and he was sitting on the bus with a computer in front of him really not paying much attention and I was thinking to myself boy he's wow what what is this 
and the interview ends and he turns the computer around and on it he had musical notes that he had inputted on a sheet and he said to me, he said, man, I, I heard this uh, in my head as we were talking so I wrote it out and I go, oh, you've been working on it for, for a while? He goes, no, 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 it, it, I just invented it and then he pushed play and he played this whole, you know, for like three minute song, five minute song and I'm like, wow, the son of a gun created a new song right there in front of me. Anyway, uh, Steve, what a, a genius. Um, let me quickly talk about Joe Bonamassa. You, of course, did Black Country Communion with him. Uh, do you think at some point you might do something else with Joe other than just have him guest on an album? Do you think there might be another project where you and him might work together and do 10 songs, 12 songs, whether it's BCC or something else? Talk to me a little bit about Joe and uh, one of the nicest guys I have to I have to say I've ever met. Oh, Joe is, is as good as it gets and uh, across the board total class act, amazing talent. Uh, Joe, well, we're going to do another BCC record next year, I would say. It's very likely. We're just going to find the time frame. We we're going to do it this year, but it got a little messed up. But next year, for sure, I think there'll be BCC 5. So that'll be the next thing I do with him. But as far as Joe goes, I would welcome any configuration or situation to play with him he's just amazing and we get along so well in bcc we were the two americans and and glenn and jason were the two brits and so we bonded uh early on when we got together for that band and we've just stayed good friends ever since and he's always been very cool and helping me out on my solo records he played on oceana as well so yeah, yeah, I, I I love Joe. He's he's just one of the greatest. Uh, real quick, you mentioned on uh, Twitter and on social media that you had a chance to work with all these great artists, and now you've added uh, David Coverdale and Whitesnake to that. Um, what was that like going back on songs like Slip of the Tongue or Restless Heart and adding new elements to it? Do you Do you sort of listen to the classic versions and go, okay, here's where I can tighten it up? Or do you say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to do something completely new. And, and what was that experience like? Well, David was very familiar with my playing through BCC. And, and I don't know, maybe he listened to some other things. But he, he recognized in my playing that there's a very strong John Lord uh, comparison. And he even went when he's doing the press for this new rock album saying that Derek Sherinian is like the illegitimate son of John Lord, <laughs> which I thought was a major compliment, you know, coming from a guy that played with John Lord in, in deep purple. So, you know, and Glenn Hughes has said similar things as well. So that was pretty cool. So when, when, when DC called me up to do those records, he just said, Derek, do your thing old school. Give me that B3. And I, basically went in and did a best of of all of the great classic rock keyboardists that we love and have listened to for years. I did the John Paul Jones Mellotron and, and Rhodes like no quarter sounds. I did like Boston Tom Scholes. I mean, I, I put everything in, but it was basically uh, John Lord playing with white snake with all those other little elements in it. And he loved it. And it was, uh, it's a big difference if you listen to Slip of the Tongue, the original version, and then the version with my keys on it. It sounds like a whole, a whole different thing. 
Oh, listen, I've listened and and I I love it and, and I love the fact that he had Joel Hoekstra and other people and, and Adrian Vandenberg come in and, and tighten stuff up. I think it's a brilliant idea. Uh, in terms of keyboards, where did that love come from? Because you mentioned John Lord and and he's one of course one of the greatest. Were were you just fascinated with keyboards from an early age? Was it like oh I tried guitar and I couldn't figure it out? Where did that come from? And who were some of the first people you were looking at going, okay? I need to be like him. Well, I started off with classical lessons and then I quit when I was around 10 to, to skateboard because all my friends were doing that and no one was playing music. And then this kid moved to on my block a couple years later and he had an electric guitar and he was into Kiss and Aerosmith and all the cool rock bands and he turned me on to it and I just loved it. And he was playing his guitar and I said, Oh, I used to take piano lessons. So I knew a G chord, like he was calling out the chords and I was going, yeah, I know that chord. And so I'm like playing along with him. And it was the first experience ever playing with another musician. And I just was bitten with the whole rock and roll bug. And I just played keyboards. I never gravitated towards the guitar. And even though I'm such a huge fan and, and love it so much, I came to a, a realization early on that if I stayed with the keyboards, I could do something totally unique and come at it from a completely different angle than anyone else. And, and I really just stuck to that formula. And for a while, it never was shown as I was playing with like Alice Cooper and Kiss because I was just playing parts. But the first time it came out was when I joined Dream Theater and it was the first time I got to play on a record and my style came out on recording. And then it just really started evolving and getting deeper and deeper from there, hundreds of records later. Okay, so then, you know, talk to me about this because you have this fascination with the instrument, but you still at times will try to convert guitar solos into keyboard parts. Uh, you do that a lot with sort of the Van Halen stuff. Um, talk to me about that and, and what is the importance of Van Halen to you? Cause you seem to like those parts and you, you, you emulate them and, and there's a, I love when you do it. Um, talk to me a little well, bit about it's, that. It's interesting as a, a kid, I never really trans, I never transcribed his solos. I just listened to it millions and millions of times and it was ingrained in my DNA. So when I play in solo, it was more Van Halen inspired. I wasn't playing his exact stuff. It wasn't until like a few years ago that I really felt compelled to dissect exactly what the fuck he was playing. And as I dug in and what was really helpful is that there's a lot of people on YouTube that do tutorials. There's a lot that are really inaccurate, but there's always one or two that really they either slowed it down so slowly where they just got every little nook and cranny of this thing where it's perfect. And I try to find those people and I learn it exactly. And I've done that with a few of his solos like Spanish fly and mean street. And uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm looking at some now you've no got, good. you're no and good. Spanish when you're fly. breaking that stuff down and translating it to the keyboards. That's part a huge part of uh, me, when I process it and then put it through my instrument, it comes out something totally unique 
because I know there's no other guy out there that loves Van Halen more than I do as far as keyboards. I mean, my son is named Halen and I've been in since the ground floor. And uh, I just, that Van Halen, Ingve, Randy Rhodes, Jeff Beck, Alan Holdsworth, those guys are so deep in my DNA when I solo. I don't even think about it, but they, they come out at the, uh, the opportune uh, on the other, times. Let me ask you about that in a sense, because when you do the, the keyboard stuff of Eddie Van Halen, he, to me, he plays very different than your average guitar player, and it really sort of has almost a piano kind of approach to it. If, I know that's, that's weird the way I'm saying it, but do you feel the same way with like Randy Rhodes and some of the other guys you've mentioned? Can, can you or have you taken the time to, you know, piano, pianify, you know, crazy train and things like that? No, but I've I've learned a lot of Rhodes passages, and I've learned Diary of a Madman. I've done a piano uh, uh, rendition performed at the uh, the Diargenzo Winery, the his sister's winery, on Randy's birthday, and then also with Sons of Apollo, we did Diary of a Madman with an orchestra. But all of those players that I mentioned have very distinct signature styles, and that was what struck me with Edward Van Halen when I first heard that record when I was 12 years old that it just it blew me away because it gave me the realization that you can you can have your personality come through on the recording and then it lasts forever and it's it becomes immortal and that whole concept of of transferring your personality to the recording through the writing and more so even your the playing style and I became obsessed with, with wanting to develop a keyboard style like how Edward Van Halen did on guitar, where when I play, it's immediately identifiable. And I just don't sound like some guy that's playing keys or, you know, an uneventful right. performance. Right. You know, I want to I be one of the greats and I want to stand out and have an identity just like these A-list guitar players. Well, well, of course, and as you should. Now, do, do you think, or or would you find it interesting at some point to to do a solo album of sort of cover tunes where you're where you're covering these different bands, you know, the Van Halens and the whatever Aussies and Iron Maidens? Or whatever? Done, I have no desire whatsoever. Honestly, I've done enough covers in my life. I think them changes on um, my last record is going to be my last one for a while. I just, I honestly don't have a desire to play anyone else's music. So, so that would suggest then that you have uh, a desire to create your own music. So in terms of creating your own music, because now we're in this pandemic and there's obviously no touring. Sons of Apollo had a great tour that got shot down, unfortunately. Uh, do you just sit at home and, and, and think, okay, I'm gonna do, we're going to put out Phoenix and now I'm going to start work on the next new one? Or, or where do you go sort of creatively now that you're sort of in this no man's land? I've already started my next solo record right nice. nice as i uh, as i just finished the phoenix i got a call from michael shanker's people that michael wanted me to play on a track so i did uh my performance and sent the track back and michael was just totally blown away by my playing and was like really excited about it and so the manager wrote me back saying michael loves this uh how much do we owe you 
And I said to him, I go, look, I don't want any, I can't accept any money playing with the great Michael Shanker. I mean, he's a hero of mine. If he wants to return the favor and play on my next solo record, that would be awesome. But otherwise, it's been my pleasure. And then he wrote back right away, Michael would love to play on your record. Just let us know. And so me being who I am, I immediately got in the studio and wrote a killer uh, instrumental epic Michael Shanker song and went and recorded it with Simon Phillips, who was on the first MSG record in 1980, which was a huge influence on me, huge uh, into the arena and all the great songs on that had a big impact 40 years ago and uh, Tony Franklin on bass. And so Simon's going to do a little love bounce and then we're sending it to Germany to Michael so he can do his tracks. Now he's going to do his, his, tracks and it's going to sit in the vault for probably a year before anyone hears it but at least i have it done and i'm moving forward oh that, that that's great and and i kid you not before we got on the phone for for about an hour i was listening to different shanker stuff temple of rock stuff and i was like totally into it so i was listening oh to oh my um, god he's just like before van halen came out the ufo live album and michael shanker was my real first guitar hero and what an amazing style and sound, the vibrato, the way he switches from minor to pentatonic blues at the perfect opportune moment. He was kind of, it was funny, I was talking to Zach about this, that he was kind of doing the Randy Rhodes thing before Randy. There's a similarity there where Michael also played with the classical minor feel scale Aeolian, but then he would shift into this cool blues thing in his style same yeah. way randy would and uh there's a cool parallel there okay. but anyways i love michael shanker i'm honored to be on his record and i'm very excited to uh hear what he does on mine to hear what he does on yours now that we're just geeking out i'll ask you a random question because today i was all michael shanker yesterday i was all uli john roth what do you think of uli style because that is that is really unique guitar playing i mean that's well, i think it's i think it's amazing he's the prototype of Ingve. Sales of Sharon, or Sharon, however you say it, was yeah. the first time we ever heard the triplet 16th notes Phrygian Spanish major scale. No one was doing that before. And uh, it's badass, that recording. If you've never heard it, look it up. Scorpion Sales of Sharon, 1977. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and so he started it, and he's totally killer. Uh, Uli, yeah. Uli's the greatest. And if you haven't checked it out, in the last couple of years, he put out an album called Scorpions Revisited and Tokyo Tapes Revisited, where he plays sales and the guitar work on these new versions. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's insane. I mean, the well, kind of Uli, if you're listening to this interview, you're welcome to come play on my records anytime, and I will totally would love that. Well, you know what? He's a hero. He's a hero. I love it. I do email back and forth with him. I'll, I'll put in a good word for you, you know. Um, All right, thanks, Mitch. And, and yeah, and then, uh, anyway. Uh, of course, uh, seeing that I am a, a KISS geek, we have to go over the story about you being on the Revenge Tour because it's just, it, it's written in the rule book. We have to go over it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's just the way it is. I'm a KISS fan. I have no choice. No um uh, talk to me a little bit about that because, you know, he, here is this time that you were sort of mentioning before where you were doing just parts and you didn't really get to be Derek Sherinian. You just sort of got to be the guy that filled in and, you know, fill in the parts that were needed. What was that like in terms of professional experience 
learning to be that guy off stage, learning to to, to play that role, uh, not being able to be very creative in the sense that you had to just do these very precise parts. Um, just talk to me a little bit about that experience and, and how it got you to where we are today. Well, I mean, that's not something that I would choose to really do, that kind of role of not being creative and being off stage, I mean, it's kind of humiliating in itself. But the way I looked at it, it was Kiss, and Alice wasn't working at the time, and I thought it would be a great opportunity to to watch Gene and Paul on tour and watch how they run ran an organization and how hands on they were. And I felt that it was uh, part of my schooling or seasoning, if you if you will, coming up as a, a young musician, that it was a great opportunity, even though it wasn't my ideal situation. But I enjoyed the, right. the four months that I worked with them. And Gene and Paul are, have been very good to me over the years. And I still stay in touch with them. And I did recording on, what was it, uh, Ramones, the Ramones tribute album. Oh, uh, rock, uh, rock, and roll, rock and roll radio. So I'm on that. And I'm also... Uh, a little bit on a live three, not very loud, but it's there, and, and I'm credited. Well, uh, well, uh, uh, let me see. The the Kiss song on the Ramones one was. Do, do you believe in? Do you believe in rock and roll? No. Uh, what's that song? Anyway, this wasn't a rock and roll radio. Uh, you know what? I'm going to actually check it in a second. I, I don't. It's something. Rock and roll's in the title. I don't really know those songs. Do you remember rock and roll? Something like that. Oh, okay. Anyway. All right. Uh, and a live three. Now that that's kind of exciting, you know. You back in the day, when was that out? That was out in uh, 90, 93, 94. 90, 94. Yeah. So so talk to me about that because you know you have this alive uh, three thing come out. You're on it. What was that like for you to be able to go home and say, "Hey, mom, I'm on a Kiss record." I mean that that's got to be satisfying. I mean, now- really, it it didn't really matter. I mean, it was cool, but you couldn't hear my playing enough for it to, to uh, have anything worthy of mention. So it was kind of, it was cool that I was part of it, but I wasn't part of it enough to be put up in the mix. Well, all right. Well, that's not part of the music. I mean, that wasn't what my role was. So yeah, I mean, I've been more excited about other records. (laughs) Well, okay. I mean, I'm super excited about a live three, but all right. Uh, Sons of Apollo. Now we, we had this tour planned. You were going to go to all kinds of wonderful places, South America and all that. It's been delayed. Can you at this point plan for 2021 and plan for the next tour? Or are we still in this like, well, we're going to announce dates, but mm, don't know. We have dates. We have dates on the book all through in uh, South America, four shows. And then we have Europe in May. 2021 it's all booked and and, uh, and we don't know if that's, if it's going to happen or not you know nobody knows there's so much uncertainty and it's really fucked for everyone so it is we at least we at least have the placeholders there and our hearts are all there our intent is to play these shows that are on the the books and let's hope that uh these people figure it out so we can all go back and enjoy music you know yeah, and and you know the other the other layer that's difficult for American bands is that a lot of the countries have closed their borders to the states. So you know, Doro Pesh well, might go tour, but you might not be allowed to. So well, yeah, that's an interesting point. And then some countries in in Europe, as you know, you're traveling over a border sometimes every 
after every show, what if some countries have certain quarantines against the U.S. and this happens while we're on tour? And that was one of the, the issues before we pulled out in uh, February or late January, whenever it was, on the European tour because of the coronavirus is because the Milan show was going to be canceled. And then we heard about murmurings of other shows. And every time you're on tour and a show gets pulled and you can't replace it, that's a huge financial harpoon that hits you, you know? And so you get out there and you take three or four to five or six of those, you're fucked. And so it's going to be very different now for bands. Even when they start opening it up slightly, it's going to be so fragile. And you don't know when the plug is going to be pulled. And it's just very, it's scary when there's so much, you have employees out there, you have crew, and there's a lot of money riding on and, these and, tours. And, and like you said, cancel, it's just fucked. It's the, fucked. the routing is impossible. I, I mean, you, you know, and not not to mention all the venues, some of the venues that are going to start closing and routing is just going to be a, a, a nightmare. I mean, I really I don't just know. Really, I don't know how I, I yeah. it's, it's such a mess, Mitch. I, I just don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty. So let's see what happens. That's all I can say. So so let's just quickly, and we'll end on this, we'll just talk positive for a second. With all these constraints and all this stuff going on and all this uncertainty, do you start looking at maybe, hey, okay, maybe I'll start making music for video games. Maybe I'll start making music for soundtracks. Maybe I'll I'll sit at home and, and do Fox Sports mute. Like, and, 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 you know, do, do you sort of start thinking of hey, how I can get my music out in some other way? Well... No, not so much that, but as far as business goes, I've always done sessions, like keyboard sessions outside of the bands that I played in. A lot for famous people, you know, like White Snake and Michael Shanker, as I mentioned, but but mostly for um, unsigned artists, new and up and coming solo artists and, and bands that just love my playing throughout the years and want me to play on, on their records. And it's always been a little side business. But since we stopped touring and nobody, there's no touring or anything, I've really been focusing the last six months on my session business and putting it out there that I'm available. And it's amazing the, the response. Like yesterday I was recording, I did three sessions, one for someone in Finland, someone in Scotland, and then someone in Waco, Texas. So from places all over the planet, people are sending me their recordings and wanting me to play. And it's just a pleasure for me to wake up in the morning. I swim in my pool, do my workout and then have my coffee, come in the studio and, and, uh, you knock and it record out. tracks. It's a killer wow. business. I love it. So anyone that wants me to play on their stuff, you can hit me up on Instagram or our Twitter. I'm very approachable and I'd love to hear what you're doing. If I feel like I can help you, uh, let's take it from there. Yeah. See, there you go. And that's, that's a good, that's a good, uh, you're lucky in a sense that not a lot of people, like you know, the roadies, as you were mentioning, they don't get this opportunity. So you're very lucky that you can you can do that. Of course, I will remind folks that the Phoenix comes out in September. Uh, as as we say here in Montreal, uh, merci, Derek. Always, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, Mitch. Thank you very much. Take care of yourself and stay safe. And thanks for your support. Absolutely, always always happy to support anything you're you're involved in, whether it's BCC or Sons of Apollo or anything else. Uh, anyway, there you go. Merci, Monsieur. Thank you. Merci. Thank you, Mitch. Take care. Bye bye. Cheers.